Hello, my name is Dan Morgan, your host, and thank you for joining the Podcast Potables Network, home of both Process Potables and the Brew Coats. We are happy to be a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family. You can find all things Underground Sports Philadelphia on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. You can find all things Process Potables at www.processpotables.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at Process Potables. Also, we would like to thank our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. You can contact them for any real estate needs in New Jersey at 856-904-5636. And if you mention Process Potables, you can get exclusive savings. We will get you right in to the podcast right away. But first, our friends in the presence of wolves. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 46 of Process Potables. This episode is titled, The Sky is Falling? Because I'm not quite sure, to be honest. I'm joined by Steve. As usual, Steve, it's uh, it's Eagle Sunday, but we, we have some business to take care of before the birds take care of business. How are you feeling, birds aside? We'll get there. I promise you we'll get there. I'm feeling I'm feeling uh I'm feeling great but that's only because I just came back from uh vacation. It could have been better if the Sixers won in Orlando. I was there for that game. So, besides the birds, uh I'm 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 okay. The sky's not quite fallen for me yet, so. Good, glad to hear and glad you're back from vacation. Missed you. Miss you too, buddy. We are also joined by friend of the podcast and now recurring guest Marty <laughs> Teller. You can find Marty on Twitter at MW Teller. Marty, welcome back. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Uh, same thing. So, birds aside, how, how, how are we feeling today? I, I'm all right. I'm all right. I don't, I don't think the sky is falling. I think there's some serious concerns and uh, some things that need to be addressed sooner than later as it relates to the Sixers. But I think I think it's okay. I don't I don't think it's uh, we're at nine one one. We're not at a ten. I think we're at a Maybe a five point five six. Okay, I'm I'm okay with that. So, what do you think, Steve? Scale one to ten. How panicked are you regarding the Sixers specifically? I, I would say a six. Okay, I think you and Marty hit it right on the head there. So I, I'm going to say six. Well, the most recent game against Houston didn't really do anything to uh, lower that number. If I'm being honest, the Sixers lost to Houston one eighteen to one oh eight. The Bright spot of that entire thing was Ben Simmons, uh, maybe the best game of his career. Yeah, it could have been up there. I mean, he definitely played well. He was super aggressive. Um, I saw a stat recently. I think it's from like December fifteenth. He's in like the top ten or top fifteen of uh, free throw attempts. Top fifteen. I so that's that. that's really encouraging. Still shooting fifty eight percent, I think, on free throw uh, percentage. That's so correct. that's still got to get better. But the aggressiveness. You know, it's starting to come around, and uh, it's just got to be consistency now. It's got to be you got to see that game after game. Doesn't always have to be twenty nine points. Um, he does need to get you know space to the corners. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. But yeah, a really really strong uh, Simmons game. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about Embiid's performance at all or his quotes afterwards. Yeah, I, I want to get there. One one thing on Simmons that I I it kind of annoyed me, and I thought it was interesting. I'm curious what you guys think was. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy, I'm pretty sure, like, you could tell early in the game that Simmons was getting to the line frequently, uh, which was nice, and Jeff Van Gundy was like, this is, this is, I forget the word he used, but he's like, this is one of their issues, is is Ben getting the line because he can't hit his free throws, and I was like, actually, I think a lot of us would argue that even though we want to see that number up, the bigger issue is him not getting there, so I'm fine with him, even at 60%, I'm fine with him getting there, I want him to get there, I want that number to go up. I don't have an issue with him going to the line. I have an issue mm-hmm. with him not being aggressive and not getting the call. So the fact that he was doing that, like it just kind of bothered me because I don't think that was correct. And I'm fine with him getting to the line several times, even at this number, although in a perfect world, he gets a little better at it. Yeah, we've talked about it before. A lot of people are harping on he needs to create a three-point shot. It's like, no, we, we just want him to get to the line more. We would like to see that free throw percentage go up much higher. Um, and it's kind of weird. There's just a lot of games where it's just he doesn't really go to the line at all. 
and you know we we saw that last night in Houston. So the the three things that you know are, are missing from Ben's game offensively that we've all talked about are the corner three, finishing around the rim, improving at that, and getting to the free throw line more often and making more. So the fact that he's starting to chip away at one of you know one part of one of those is encouraging, and the defense has been unbelievable this year. I think it's pretty easily especially with how um, flexible he is from a position standpoint. I think he'll almost certainly be first-team all-defense if he keeps this up, certainly in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. So that's great. It's just, you know, consistency with Ben. Can we please get the consistency? And, and can we, you know, can we get those corner threes at some point here, you know, in the future? Yeah, I agree. I definitely think he's going to be first-team all-defense. I think, unfortunately, Defensive Player of the Year, there's too many haters for him. For him, I don't like – I think he deserves to be in the conversation, but I have a feeling that we're going to be frustrated at how little he really is in it just because of the detractors there are for him, but he deserves it absolutely. As far as Houston is concerned, Harden goes off. He does this to us every time, and we always have to play them on Friday night on ESPN, which which (laughs) never seems to work out for us. He goes for 44-11-11, but... You know he he's gonna do this, and I don't know the Houston the Houston game didn't really bother me honestly. It was the fact that it was the four straight loss, right? It, you know, it, if, it, it multiplies exactly. all those things. If you win, even if you honestly, if you win one of those road games, if you you know just break get up the, that get the Magic game, okay, you lost three in a row. One was to Miami, which you, you know really should have won on a back to back, right? Indy, okay, it happens. We New we Year's can't Day. accept it, but like it, it does happen. Um, you know, it, it was it, the fact that it's 0-4. You know, if you get the just one of those games, even Miami or Orlando, and it's a 1-3, it, it's, it takes that 6 probably to a 5. And I think, you know, in terms of, like, sure. worry and concern. So, you know, I, I think that's, like, the big takeaway for me is, like, I, I'm not so focused on Houston. We struggle with them. I hope if we do make it to the finals, that's not a team I would want to see, to be honest with you. Um, so I, that game, like, individually is not – where my concern is, my concern is is much broader in the sure. sense of, of the and we'll team. get there. But the thing that stood out to me from that game was Clint Capella going for thirty and fourteen on twelve of sixteen shooting. And I've had a couple conversations with different people, so I'm really curious to see what you guys think about this. Do you think that Capella's performance is a result of bad perimeter defense from the surrounding cast, or do you think that there was a Joel Embiid effort level issue? just in this game specifically, and then we can kind of move on to a little bit more Embiid talk in a, in a bigger picture. But just this game, you know, that Capella performance, I asked because my initial thought was to blame Embiid, and there were definitely a few times that I felt like he was just like, yeah, like I don't feel like dealing with this. But for the most part, a lot of the situations he was put in with Capella being that rim runner kind of guy, it felt like it was just like he was in no man's land and didn't really have a chance to do much. So I'm curious which which of those you saw more of in your opinion. Yeah, it's definitely for me it's a perimeter defense cuz that's that's been an issue for a while now and sometimes what just happens is you know whether they draw and beat out to to create the space and it just seems like when Capello would get a dunk or you know score Embiid was nowhere to be found or he was just trailing behind him and I think you know you did allude to a little bit that Embiid's effort le- level wasn't quite there either but I think if he had a little more effort I'm not sure how much of a difference it would have made yeah I'm the same way I mean I think it's a combination I think that's one of the things we as Sixers fans always try to do is try to like focus in on like it was this person's fault or the issue is this guy or that guy I think it's a combination you know I do think it's some perimeter defense I do think there are plays where MB just you know kind of didn't take off but just didn't play it correctly um but you also have to, it's it's James Harden you know and they've been doing it James Harden and Clint Lampel have been doing this for what now four seasons three seasons maybe longer you know you you pick your poison with James do you want him shooting threes and going off that way do you want him going to the hole and getting fouled so again I, I didn't look at this game it was frustrating it would have been a really nice win had they done it they played a great first quarter they did um yeah but you know they, I, I bet them for the first half because I thought they'd come out yeah. at least for the first half and, and I was like well. damn I, first quarter would have got quarter. it 
the second quarter fell I, apart. You know, I just think, you know, Houston's a variance team. And so, you know, you could play them another night and the three points just aren't there. And yeah. you'll, bl- you'll if, if you look them. at, like, just their shot, I mean, if you watch the game, then you know. But even if you didn't watch and you look at their shot chart, there are several times where they get blown out in that game because some of the shots they take are just awful, but they have guys that can hit them. Yeah, but they're not it, good shots. It's, it's math. And it's as frustrating as it is, like, you know, we all probably played basketball and, you know, people that listen, you know, sometimes you look at it and it just doesn't look right to you. Um, and it's the math of, like, you know, Ben Simmons going to the line, even shooting 58%. It comes to, still comes to, like, more than a point per possession. Correct. Which is good. Yep. So, you know, even if it doesn't look right, like, you watch and you're like, this, this, this isn't right. This, you know, shouldn't be successful, but it is. And it, it's just the math. So all of that leads me to the Embiid postgame quote, and this was per Tim McMahon of ESPN. So after the loss, after losing four in a row now, Embiid said, quote, Losing four in a row sucks, and it doesn't feel like we're getting better. So it is frustrating. I care about winning. It's taking a toll on me. All I care about is winning. It sucks. We've got to find a way. I guess we've got to keep fighting. And the reason I brought up Embiid's effort level, again, not that I'm necessarily saying that I think it's an issue or that I have very much concern at all going forward, but it's interesting that in a same game where I think you can make some obvious points to at least small samples of him not giving effort that it's also a game that Ben Simmons dominates and it just felt like you know the the team was just running much more through Ben and it brought up questions that I know knowing the three of us maybe it's a little frustrating but this was one of the few times that I at least can kind of understand the idea that like I don't know that Embiid is very happy when he has to be out there when the team is playing to Ben Simmons and not to him. And do you think that that's an issue? I know, Marty, you kind of talked about an idea of this with, like, roster and and lineup construction uh, earlier. But, you know, we kind of get mad at people who are like, oh, Joel and Ben can't play together. And we know that they can. That's not the conversation I want to have. Yeah, you know, up before last night, they're like 11.4, plus 11.4 net rating. But is there something to Embiid's frustration when they're just running and Ben's excelling and he's not getting involved as much? Do Do you see any cause for concern with that? I think it could be a little bit of that because I know over the past few years, people kind of had this narrative of, you know, who's the alpha, Ben or Joel. But my problem with Embiid was he wasn't playing to Simmons' level, you know, of intensity. You know, from start to finish, Simmons was just a monster on both ends of the floor. And although, you know, like we talked about earlier, Embiid just, you know, being slow and just some examples of him, you know, just not seems like he's not at 100 percent. He's playing like maybe 70, 75 percent. Um, it's just to me that 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 just kind of falls on him. So it's one thing to complain about, and it's taking a toll on him, but it doesn't really seem like he's, you know, doing uh, much on his part to, you know, help that. I, I, the quote that struck me more, and I don't know if you guys caught it, but uh, the cameras caught it at the end of the game. Capella was talking to him, and it looked like he he mouthed the word like "It's not it, me." It's not me. Yeah, and so. You know, you do wonder what's going on and like just more broadly about Embiid, like if you think about it, you know, his his mind space, right? And I don't want to get into like, you know, is he like depressed or like whatever, but you just look at like the team, right? So Markel Fultz, one of his good friends, gone. Covington, I don't know how close they were, but was with him for a long time, gone. Jimmy Butler, close with him, gone. TJ McConnell, who's, you know, told the story about, you know, Joel inviting him over and coming, you know, play board games with his wife and his fiance or whatever, his fiance at the time gone so all these guys are you know all these guys are gone and he looks around and there's talent like I think he likes Tobias I think he he knows Josh Richardson's a good player I don't think there's as much issue between you know Joel and and Ben personally we've seen them whispering to each other on the bench they each do their own thing they're superstars they're alphas um you know I think there's probably some frustration with Ben not not spacing out to three um but honestly I think the issue from a like starting lineup perspective is Al Horford I think he I think it really is mucking up the offense. And I think, you know, when ben, when Ben's in the game with Joel, take Horford out of the, the equation for a second. You know, Joel's got to be willing, you know, in terms of sacrifice to shoot those trail threes. Just like Ben's has to go out and space to the, to the corner three. Now, if Ben's not going to hold up his end of the bargain, it doesn't mean Joel... Like, he can't pout about it. He still has to do what his end of the bargain is. And I think that's that accountability. That's all those things. And, you know, we can all infer different things, but that's how I interpret it. That's how I see it. And so I, I get where he's frustrated. 
So to your point, yeah, maybe some of it has to do with, with Ben, but I, I think the issue is, you know, defensively is where we're just like, they should be a much better defensive team. They've kind of fallen off in the last, you know, few games. Um, and there's definitely some miscommunications going on. Um, so I, I just, I can't put my finger on it. I'm trying to watch, I'm trying to study, I'm trying to see like who's, like who's to blame. But it's, it's not, it's one person on this play, it's somebody else on this play. But I think the root of the issue overall is Al Horford being a part of the starting lineup. You know, and to your point with Al Horford, one thing I haven't really, uh, now that I think about it, no one's really mentioned is it's got to be kind of weird to for Embiid, right? We Part of the benefit of signing Al for. Al Horford was that, hey, we have this guy who always was in Bede's head and gave him trouble, and now and now uh, he, he's playing alongside to him, and, you know, they basically played the same position. So I'm sure that's got to be kind of awkward for Embiid, too. You know, this guy who's kind of owned me in the past is now my teammate, and and maybe that's where part of the spacing issue is, is, you know, these are really two centers playing along next side to each other. So And Al's Al's transitioning in his career. And so if you look at the numbers, Al's really a four on defense and a five on offense. So the offense is better with him at center. We've seen those numbers with, with you know, Ben and him lineups. It's fallen off a little bit, but it was incredible. Yeah, you know, the first probably 20, 25 games of the season. Um, and then defensively, they are really good when Al's on the floor and the starting five's out there. The net rating's fantastic. Um, again, it's fallen off a little bit, and there's games that it doesn't always look fantastic, but it's it's really strong. So the issue is, you know, you can't have it both ways. So are you going to say, you know, from a starting lineup, is there something you can do offensively where you won't lose, you know, uh, as much defensively as you're going to gain offensively? And is that guy on the roster? Do you have to go find that guy? You know, I think that's the big conversation the team uh, should be having. I think that's the conversation all of us are having. Yeah, I agree. After this game, Kyle Newbeck for Philly Voice wrote a piece in regards to basically the versatility of Ben Simmons and some of the things that have been working for this team and some of the you know the issues that they have to go through. And it's a really good piece, first of all. You check it out, and we may have retweeted it, but if not, I'll also make sure to repost it today so people can find it. But, I mean, my biggest takeaway, and we saw it in this game even before this piece, which was a good thing to see, was the Josh Richardson and Ben Simmons pick-and-roll and how effective that is. There were at least, I think, in the second half, the third quarter specifically, they went to it like three times in a row, all got buckets, and then we just didn't really see it again, even though Houston didn't do anything to take it away. And in the piece, Kyle talks even more about just Ben Simmons as a screener in general and how like useful he can be in that role. And the problem is this whole Ben wants to be the point guard, not really be a power forward, which is what he really is. Yeah. In regards to that piece and just in regards to stuff we've talked about so far, I have two different questions. So the first one is going to be team as it is outside of the trade deadline and outside of, of any kind of moves roster-wise, just talking about the people we have in the building right now. You know, what do you think they can do internally to fix some of the struggles that they're having right now, whether it's offensively, defensively, rotation-wise? Like, What are the first things that come to your head? Matisse getting healthy. <laughs> Matisse getting healthy and keep shooting threes like he's been. Um, I mean, you look at those lineups. I mean, you talk about what we just said. Like, what can you do offensively um, that would improve the spacing and, and the flow, but without losing a lot defensively? It's, it's Matisse. If you're talking about internal, I don't think it's a perfect um, solution because he doesn't have the ball handling that I think they desperately need. Um, but I think the sooner, you know, and, and we'll see what Brett does. I, I heard some rumors that potentially Matisse could be back tomorrow night, which would be great. Um, I hope he's not rushing back. You know, I definitely need him to be healthy, but um, that would be, that would be my recommendation. And I think even closing games, I would consider that having Matisse in the game um, at the end of games, just to give them more flexibility with how they guard, but kind of having another, you know, player on the wing that um, can shoot, can pump fake and go. He, he's shown a little bit of handles. I mean, but he's, he's not a ball handler. Right. Yeah. I think that's definitely a good idea. Another thing too is I, I, I kind of like how they stagger the lineup. You know, when they take and beat out, they have Horford in that center. And it seems like Horford plays at his best when he's at the five. Tobias seems to play at his best when he's at the four. So I think, you know, 
um, continuing to do it, and ha- whether it's Matisse or Furkan coming off the bench, playing that three role, I, I think that's probably their best, you know, internally, you know, to keep going at it and, you know, have that starting lineup for the beginning and end of games and just hope that we, we all had this hope going into the season that this defense would run teams off the floor, which hasn't quite happened, but um, hopefully it gets to that point. So we'll see. Yeah, the other thing that, that I've really been on, and it's funny because these are the ebbs and flows of the season, obviously, but I think now we've seen enough of both to really kind of make a decision is that, like, Trey Burke has to be the backup point guard. For right now. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, again, I, don't, I still again, don't think move, he's good enough. Again, but, moves aside. Yeah. If you're talking about what you have, like, I I was really excited for him in the summer. Then I honestly thought he was getting cut. And Neto looked pretty good for like five yeah. or ten yeah, games, he had a, and, he had a games decent yeah. and then fell off a cliff. And now Trey Burke looks like a bad version of a lot of things that of what you they need. need. It's it's a hundred percent, and it's it's insane. They knew this, right? They knew it when they drafted Fultz, why they made that move. I think actually one of the worst things Brett Brown's done, and I'm a Brett Brown fan, and I don't, this episode doesn't really need to like go into you know his weaknesses or strengths, but you know when he came out and said Ben is a point guard, Ben is a point guard. I think. You know, whatever it is in that locker room of why they have to do that, uh, it doesn't make sense. And I think it did a team, and I think it did Ben a disservice. And so hopefully, to your point, what you mentioned, you know, the other, you know, just a couple minutes ago, um, as far as using him as a screener and kind of unleashing him in, in different ways, in a variety of ways, that's what they need to continue to do. And they need to find that ball handler. Um, you know, I think the other mistake the Sixers made, and we were just talking about this pre-show, is you know when you talk about building a team around Joel and and um, Ben, my what I would have done or what I think they should do is you know build a starting lineup that's most complementary of of Embiid, because that's that lineup you're going to start and finish games with, and then your bench lineups should be complementary more of of Ben and should be teams that fly up and down the court. I think we have this in our head that, you know, there's this like backup defensive center out there that, you know, is going to be able to have the um, level of, you know, what, what Joel does. Chris Kamaje, baby. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, there you go. I, I, blocks I, I don't, dude, I don't, I, I, honestly, I don't know if that player exists. So, you know, was, was Al Horford the right guy at 28 million to essentially be like that offensive center? Or would they have been better off, like, on a minimum with, like, Luke Cornett? Or offering Maxi Kleber, like, you know, a deal who's shooting 40% from three this year and, and could play a little next to, to Embiid, maybe. So I, I think that's what, going forward, they need to look at is a second unit with that features Ben and no Embiid has to be more about, like, running teams off the court, being fast, getting out and steals, and not worrying about so much of, like, you know, funneling the de- – you know, you almost have to have, like, a different defensive scheme in a way. Yeah, I think that's one thing that we've seen in three years of of Brett. And again, we're normally a pro Brett podcast, but we have come to some realizations, especially this season. I think is that his team identity, like he forces it to every single lineup he has. He seems very unwilling to really implement different strategies to different lineups outside of maybe some of the Ben Simmons transition stuff, but that's also just more Ben playing his game and not really even something that I think is instilled by the team or the coaching staff. It's just Ben's going to run. So that's more him than anything else. But we've seen for, for multiple years now that the Sixers struggle defensively with them beat off the court. And we have praised the organization and as somebody that has been covering the Bluecoats now, that from the top down all the way to there, they really preach the same defensive scheme where they try to funnel everything to the center. And at least in the G League, they've had success because they've had Norvell Powell and now they have Chris Kumaje. And both of them have actually done a good job as far as the G League level is concerned. But to do that same thing at the NBA level is not the same thing. And we've seen that because other than Joel Embiid, no one can really do it. And even the issue with Embiid doing it as incredible as he is is the toll it takes on you as a guy that we're worried about you know managing workload and the offensive uh weight that is put on him as well like he can only do so much you can only ask so much of him and then you're asking somebody else who is not him to come in and replicate that for 18 to 20 minutes a game and and it just can't be done well let's look let's look back you know the the two guys that get brought up every national telecast Bellinelli and Ilyasova (laughs) what happened at the end of that season of 17-18 right when they won 16 straight 
that wasn't sustainable. That's not a lineup that's going to win your right. NBA championship. But that's the secondary type of lineup that I'm talking about. Right. Having an Ilyasova as your five, you know, a Bellinelli, JJ Raddick type as your two, and then wings, you know, like a Thibault or, or Furkan potentially. And just blitzing. And just blitzing them. And just, you know, being fast, getting out in passing lanes. You know, you're going to give up a bunch of points, but you're going to score a bunch of points more. And I think that's, you know, moving forward, how they should play with Ben when Embiid's off the floor. And that's probably why we don't. Uh, see Kyle O'Quinn anymore because he just doesn't have the size or you know no. the speed to, to keep up with what you know they expect out of Embiid the one thing to to give Brett a little bit of credit and something that while that lineup will clearly have its defensive issues that he's done a little bit more of this season that I've loved seeing and that that lineup would have to do to offset how bad they would probably be sitting there on a man-to-man half-court offenses he has done a lot more like aggressive trapping and doubling and things that like we just didn't really see we saw that early like they didn't have the horses so you kind of get it like now yeah. they do have guys to do it but like that lineup especially like yeah you can't have them sit back and funnel but that's the thing is like will he make those kinds of changes and those are the things that i have to be honest do concern me about brett because we see flashes of it but it almost seems like chaotic and random like they but don't that's seem... that's that's the push pull between like the roster construction and brett and again like I, we're so eager to like it's this person's fault. Brett's doing this. Brett's not doing this. The roster. It's both. It's right. both. If the rosters, it's not constructed correctly. And with what Ben, with what Brett currently has, he, I don't think he's utilizing it a hundred percent correctly. So they've got to fix both. So before I get to the other half of this, because we did kind of just talk about it a lot, it does make me kind of want to ask. So we we've done this one the ten scale thing. I kind of like this. So gonna stick with that. Brett Brown. Finishing the season as a Sixers head coach right now, as they said on a no and four streak, and it's only the beginning of January. Like, how panicked are you? I guess what is the probability that you think he's still here, or what's your confidence level in Brett? Uh, you gotta answer this however the hell you want. Yeah, I, I I have no worries at all. If if he's gone after this year, it'll be after the playoffs, unless they go on some sort of you know, 16 game losing streak or something, or like, you know, the, the locker room, it becomes really toxic or something like that. I, I think I something you're not already there with no, the locker no. room. <laughs> I mean, there's a slight concern, but I, I think they'll, they'll eventually turn it around, but it would have to get really bad for them to fire him. Cause you know, again, you know, the, the thing that a lot of people, don't think about when firing Brett Brown's like, who the hell else are you going to get? Like, right, that's what we've always said. Yeah, so I, I think this point in the season with the roster construction, like, do you think there's really anyone else out there that's going to no. turn things? No. So I'm, I'm not worried about it. Again, unless something catastrophic happens. T- time is so funny because it's, it's been less than two weeks since we beat the Bucks and beat the brakes off them. Um, so, again, you know, a four-game losing streak, it's fresh in everybody's mind. I'm sure it's fresh in Brett's mind. I'm sure it's fresh in the team's mind. You know, the Orlando game, they had a chance to win. Miami game, they should have won. Indy, they laid an egg. Houston, you know, I think was was a loss on paper before they ever played the game, honestly. Um, so I, I do have faith that, you know, the, the locker room is mature enough to, to see that big picture. Um, I don't know if there's, like, fissures in the locker room. It, you know, we got the low, the Zach Low piece kind of early in the season that said things were so much better and the chemistry was so much better. And, um you know, whether that was just kind of a PR uh, agenda by the Sixers to kind of push that narrative, um, maybe. But but I do think it was it was good, at least to start. Um, I think, you know, I think Al Horford being there, like, that's a big reason I think that Brand brought him in. Um, I, there is definitely some immaturity with, with Ben and Joel, right? They both um, are not finished products, you know, both, you know, from a basketball skill perspective or um, like a, just a mentality and a focus level. So, you know, I think that was also the hope a lot of us had was like, okay, once we all sort of talked ourselves into Al as, okay, it'll be uh, Embiid's backup, he'll be okay. He's, he was better as a power forward in, in Boston next to Beans, but he'll, he'll help this locker room. You would hope, you know, that's the case right now. You would hope that that's at least the benefit you're getting from him if he's not giving you what you need on court is that you're getting that locker room um, stability and just sort of saying, guys, it's a long season. We're, we're just approaching the halfway spot. Let's hang in there. We've got some home games coming up in January, and let's, you know, let's refocus. To this point, do you think you know Horford's on-the-court struggles aside, do you think that you've gotten – the value you expected from him as a mentor, as a locker room guy, as a leader. 
I think yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah, that, that's hard to say and measure. And, and it's weird because, I mean, these past four-plus games, he just hasn't been good at all. It just it, it seems like he really fell off a cliff or something, man. Um, and, and I know some people speculate maybe he still hasn't really fully recovered from that hamstring injury or something's going on, but it's it's, it's really hard to, uh, you know, pinpoint his uh you know contributions or lack thereof to the team right now yeah the, other than intangible standpoint yeah 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 I, I agree it's hard to tell it's just funny that i feel like even we had all these ideas of how he would help us on the court but a lot of the talk immediately from the signing was oh he'll help Embiid with this and the other thing and locker room guy and yeah it's hard to tell from the outside well if you're going off Embiid Embiid looks miserable so I would say it's not working yeah that's kind of my concern is I think we thought that he would be able to help him with his struggles against double teams and being able to show him like hey here's what I did to you that shut you down and so far I don't I don't think we've seen any improvement from Joel and a lot of those things it seems like every other week people are flip-flopping on whether they think he's gotten better against the double teams or not but i I don't think that's the case. I, I still see him struggling just as recently as the Houston game. There were times where, you know, he has the, the cross-court corner pass and so many bigs make it in, in the game right now and have adjusted to it, and he still just doesn't have it. Yeah. And, I mean, I know he, like, uh, this isn't to slander and beat, but it's just, I think we thought that Horford was somehow going to fix a lot of the issues we had with him regarding double teams and turnovers and maturity. And so far, it, just from what I can tell, I feel like, if anything, it's the other way. Yeah, and, and I think it, it, another way to think of it, too, I think it's – I know Horford's getting paid a lot of money, but it is a lot to ask a guy to not only be the locker room guy, the mentor, but, you know, he also he, – he's basically playing a, a new position in a new system. So I, I think that's a lot for him, and he's still trying to figure out his role in the team. I mean, he got paid court, that so. money to basically be a 33-year-old Swiss Army knife, which right. – is kind of a big ask. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely a big risk. And I think, you know, maybe his locker room impact just isn't quite there yet because he's still figuring out his game on the floor and adapting to this lineup. And I think MB, honestly, is a hard head and stubborn. And so I don't know, you know, again, maybe sure. I was trying and maybe MB is not listening. Sure, absolutely. There's definitely a, a reality. Uh, yeah. So, so we don't know. I mean, I think we have to let this play out. I know everyone's like on, you know, the trade machines and everything trying to move out. Um, I do think they need to move them this summer. And that's not even really totally from, you know, like on court stuff. It's just the reality of if you want to keep this team together to whatever extent, I, I do like the idea of having Tobias and Josh long term. I think they're great fits with Embiid and, and Ben. If you can get that fifth guy that sort of connects all the dots, they're all under 27 years old. Ben and Joel are locked up. I think Joel's got three more years on his deal after this. So, you know, just from a, a financial standpoint, I think they have to look to move Horford, you know, this summer. I don't think you want to make that move now. Um, unless, you know, unless somehow and the name that keeps coming up is like Chris Paul. I, I do think I would do that deal. Um, but, I, you know, that's got to be Oklahoma City coming to us and being like, you know, we're going to make this sweet for you and, and maybe a first rounder is coming our way. And I don't think that'll be the case. I think Chris yeah, Paul's playing so too either. well. So I, to me, to me, that deal is probably still there in the summer. And you can evaluate if that is the direction you want to go. You know, Chris Paul, I think, is even a year older than, than Al, if I'm not he, mistaken. Yes. Um, but has one year less on his deal. So um, that's something to consider. I think that deal, you know, could be there. Um, but they'll have to figure something out this summer. But for now... He's here. Um, they're going to have to make the best of it. We we did see what the best of it looked like against the Bucks and against Giannis, and you know I, I think he could be a difference maker in that series. The question is, do we even get to that series, and can he be a difference maker in other series against the Heat and against the, the Celtics or against the Raptors or the Pacers? You know, not to change uh, topics or anything, but to your point of people uh, posting their screenshots of trade machine proposals. That's got to stop. And uh, for, for the, I just want people to know that I've been reporting you for everyone that's been doing that to Twitter. I just like Listen, I, man, I just want to smack. Some every, people like, have some okay ideas, but there are some absolute garbage. Yeah, ones out there. I feel like the only things that come across my timeline are the absolute garbage ones, and I I, I just wish I could smack these people. I I hate it. All right, so. Before we keep going, the next question that I have for you guys comes from our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 
856-904-5636. That's 856-904-5636. And mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. All right, so back to the Sixers now. We talked about internal struggles. What can they do with the pieces they have? We kind of talked about some things outside of that still, but to really focus on that. So now we move on to what can they do roster construction-wise outside of the team. So, Well, I'm afraid to suggest anything. Now I'm afraid Steve's going to reach over and, and slap me. if I <laughs> No, no, if, if, if it's a good any, idea, I'm okay. Steve's, <laughs> all, Steve's all talk, If man. I suggest any yeah. trades. Um you know, I, I hear where he's coming from. I mean, there is some crazy stuff out there. It's, you know, it's what fans like to do. Um, we all like to, like, think about how we would, you know, make it better. I've got, you know, charts in my house of what I would have done, you know, last year and trying to trade for Kemba and doing different things. So, you know, I get where people's hearts at. You know, I don't know if they, they really understand, you know, the whoever Whoever it was that suggested that a couple of us need to just be the, the joint GM and set yeah. up at the rail in Barrington, <laughs> I'm all in. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. No, I, I would love that. I would love that. Um, so anyway, you're saying roster construction wise. Yeah. So so moves you think that are plausible that they can make. We hear whispers and things like that. It was, it seems like it's just coming out today or late last night that uh, they might be interested in. Is it Marcus Morris? Uh, yeah, I believe it's Marcus Morris on the Knicks. Uh, um, Marquise with the Pistons, making a lot less and and honestly, I think giving like pretty similar production. Yeah. The last time I checked, I, I don't. But you know, I don't want to get too deep in the. Uh, Marcus, because I don't know how they get to that money. He's yeah, I mean, 15 I, yeah. I don't want him anyway. So I think I think we're all pretty much just consensus let, out on that. Anyway. Let, let me ask you guys this: So where are you guys both on on Mike Scott? And, and, and you know, Hive, Hive. Besides, yeah. where are you on Mike I was Scott? Gonna, he, I'm he, glad you brought it up. He has to be to. in a deal because he's one of the only movable salaries you really yeah. have, and he's going to be the filler. I, I, I'm I'm kind of there too. There was at one point uh, Sixers Adam, you know, and I go go back and forth, and you know, because of the lack of shooting on this team in terms of volume, I think they're okay shooters, but in terms of lack of volume and kind of having one or two high end shooters, um, it was like, well, how can you trade Mike Scott, who's you know sort of one of like the, their only He's unconscious the chuckers? Yeah, his footwork's all messed up. If you watch that yes. Houston game, his feet are all messed up. And, and sure, like he could come back and, and have another four or five performance and get right back. And I'm sure probably by the end of the season he will. The problem is is when you have a unitasker, right? A guy who can only do really one thing. He doesn't really give you rebounding. His defense isn't it's really been awful. Any, it's not been great. He's another power forward. To me, I think we have to really think about putting him in a deal. Um, I, I think that would make life a lot easier as we start constructing who we could actually go after. Because then you can you can start getting into like the seven, eight, nine million dollar guys, which which there are some, and there's still some minimum guys. You know that you know everyone kind of knows who I've been harping on, but um, there isn't a perfect fit. You know, Derrick Rose, off court stuff aside, doesn't shoot the ball well enough, really. He'd bring a lot of juice to the second unit, but I don't know that you can play him next to, to Ben. No, I don't um, think so which either. is what I think you would want. Um, I don't know. Are there any guys you before you know before I could talk about the usual suspects? Are there any guys like different that? I mean, I'm in the camp with you with Alec, Alec Burke. I mean, did you see his yeah. numbers last night? I stayed up like an idiot. I watched a little <laughs> bit of the game last night after I kind of saw the line post and. You know, he's not a pure point guard, but he's getting three assists a game. He's getting to the line four times. He's shooting threes. He's shooting four threes a game, 37%. Um, I mean, he's really doing a lot for that team. And you do have to be careful of, of, of guys posting numbers on bad teams. I think there's definitely something right. to that. Um, I think you just have to ask yourself this question. Is there anyone on the Sixers roster right now in terms of the, the bench that you could see scoring 20 points in a quarter? Maybe Furkan, yeah. maybe if he got like yeah. crazy hot, Burks can do that. Yeah, I mean, and so at the end of the day, I think that's what you have to look at. Is you know, yes, a Reggie Bullock would be great. You know, a, a, a shooter that's maybe a little bit more wingy than than Mike Scott. You know, if he's healthy, I think Reggie Bullock would be a great you know um, find or, or a great guy to go after. Um, there's some other names. Alan know, Crabbe's a guy that I've always liked too, and I know his buyout, numbers are down. Yeah, maybe, yeah. but I really feel like like this could be a good change of scenery for him. And it's going to be interesting because like there could be some deals that happen where like let's say Minnesota makes a big deal and uses Teague's expiring, or Phoenix uses Tyler Johnson again. Like not perfect guy, you know, nothing you would be like over the the, the moon about, but guys that would actually kind of fill that role and be that secondary ball handler that can shoot a little bit, can create a little bit. Um, so I, 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 my, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe the Sixers, like, delay here isn't a deal, is they're kind of waiting to see 
if any big deals happen. Um, my concern is as we, you know, your time is slipping away yeah. and, and integrating a piece. Like I, I think if you wait all the way to the deadline, you're looking at February and March basically to get, we spent all last season talking about that, you know, Butler comes in end of November, Tobias doesn't come in until closer to the right. deadline and, and the excuse over and over is, well, the lineup keeps changing. And the now. thing with, the they, thing with, they Burks, reset it again this summer. So the Bur- Burks is on a minimum. So you can just send back like one player you could send back jonah bolden or somebody and if you're okay using scott at a later date all you're using is second round picks for yep. for Burke. it's going to take one really good second which is you know probably that Knicks or atlanta second you have this year and maybe a future second maybe you'd give them one of your own in the 2022 draft i would be very surprised if it costs more than that yeah I agree. so that doesn't limit you in what you can still do if, if bogdanovich becomes available who i think would be unbelievable for this team yeah i don't see it happening i don't either i think he costs too much because we talked about the the one thing that i think is is correlated that people don't talk about either and you'll you'll be able to correct me if i'm wrong i'm sure but we talked about i, I don't actually know if we even talked about it on here but we talked about it before about you know concerns with this team the whole league got better like the league, the top tier, there's so many more top tier teams. There used to be two, maybe three. Now there's like 12 teams that can get to the finals. Easy, 12. You could probably stretch that to 14 or so. That that could see the conference final, if not the NBA finals. Oh, yeah, conference finals. The yeah. other thing that comes with that is that teams spent their assets. They spent their cap. So when you're talking about you know only needing to give up some seconds, my initial thought automatically went to, well, somebody maybe overpays. And it's like, but who's a contender that has the ability to overpay right now. Like there are very, very few. Well, and teams yeah. and teams spent their assets. So right. like the That's Lakers are pick poor. The reason the they Clippers got better is because they spent their cap. They traded their assets for pieces, and that's why so the, many teams are better. They a, a lot of teams cashed in at the same time. So when we think about the fact that you know we also cash in a lot of chips and we don't have all the assets that we did, every other team's in the same boat. It's not like we fucked this thing up and we're the only ones that went all in. Like, well, and the other thing. That isn't even really like, it's just my opinion, and maybe it's a little bit even irrelevant, but somebody kind of got under my skin yesterday about this was, somebody said to me, like, oh, what we're doing right now isn't the way Sam would have done it, and Sam wanted to maintain, like, like get, it's over. Yeah. We are cashed in, we are in win now, you can't flip that back, you're in, that's it. There is no resetting this, there is no being worried about three to four years down, like, you have to do, whether you like it or not. It's win now. There was always going to be a consolidation of assets. Correct. And Ben and Joel were always going to get max Correct. So if you want to debate whether, you know, you should have traded for this guy or that guy, which is fair, that's fine. But sure. when people when people want to point out, like, the flexibility that they had three and a half years ago, well, no shit. Like, of course you had flexibility. That was the because point. Because you had right. guys on rookie deals. You know, you, you weren't signing guys long term. You were in an asset accumulation mode, which you everyone knows. You paid J.J. Redick, like, $22 million for one exactly. season. So, so. That's sort of like, uh, you know, I don't know, an argument that that's like a paper, that's like a, you know, straw man argument where it's like, oh, right. they had so much flexibility. The flexibility was always going to be gone. If you want to argue about how they use that flexibility, sure. But it is funny to me, you know, people always say like, oh, they should have traded for Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal hasn't gotten traded. Yeah. And other teams yeah. had good I'm assets. I'm sure they looked. You know, so you can only do what you're going to do. Yes, like I, I said to you guys pre-show, like, you know, maybe a mistake they made was not going after Kemba when you think about what his cap hold was for this summer and how they still would have had money to, to offer a max deal and maybe could have could have poached and overpaid, but on a four-year, a Middleton or a Harris and had, you know, a Ben, Josh, Kemba, um, you know, Harris or Middleton and, and Bede type of, type of deal. But then that goes back to this conversation of Ben being a point guard. Does he want Kemba Walker on this team? Probably not. No. I don't think he does. I don't think so at all. Um, and it it's goes the back same to, thing with and, Embiid and Horford. And it goes back to exactly. And it goes back to Kyle's article, which is he has to accept, and they have to, as a team, as an organization, get him to believe that he can be more than just a point guard. That actually becoming the superstar that I'm sure he would want to be. He needs to give up some of those point guard responsibilities, and it will open up the entire game for the team. Really quick to that, because I should have asked this earlier. I've seen this a lot, and I'm curious what you guys think. Ben Simmons doesn't make the all-star team, good or bad for him? Good. Good. Oh, yeah. I agree. I kind of don't want him to make it. I mean... (laughs) It, that's tough to say. Like that sounds so shitty. To, I know because he deserves it, from. right? 
but uh, yeah, I'm not saying he shouldn't get in, but I kind of feel like it, it it'll do good for him to not get it. I know it sounds bad. Yeah, no, I know where your heart's coming from. I, I would agree. I would say like I 75 percent agree. I don't know if that's like fair to do, but no, that, yeah, that's I, about know, where I'm at he, with it. You know. I, it's nice to see him there. I would really like to see Tobias there. You were talking about things that bother you. I mean, when people say, like, Tobias hasn't lived up to his contract, it I makes me, like, can't. my head explode. Um, he's been worth every penny. He's um, The problem is... is the entire course of this season, he's the best player on the team. He's been the most consistent. Yeah. He's improved his defense. Um, I'm sorry he doesn't shoot 10 threes a game. I know they need a guy to do that. Did you see he... I think he's... Uh... I, I want, he's in the top 10. I want to say he's, like, 6th or 7th in points per drive. Yeah, something that yeah. I never thought that was going to be part of his yeah. game. No, at all. Watching him before coming here and in his time here he, last year, did not think that was going to be part of it. He's, he is he, so much he's, better. He's at been that. fantastic. And if we like are being honest with ourselves when we talk about like, oh, the Sixers don't have any guys that can dribble, shoot, and pass. Well, like Tobias can do that, and he does all of it really well. Something's great. Something's good. Yeah, his passing is the one that like people say he's like a it's simple fine. read guy, yes. but he's a simple. But read that's guy. what he, he is. Yeah. He will do that's, it. That's what he is. And I think that's what's frustrating is that again, if you had this fifth starter, if you had this fifth guy who could be more of a volume three point shooter. And or a ball handler, all of a sudden you'd appreciate what Tobias Harris brings to this team and does. I think people's expectations, and I, the contract always has something to do with it, but I think they thought he was going to change his game to become this like volume three-point shooter. It's just not who he is. Um, you know, Maybe he'll extend his range a little bit. Maybe he'll learn to take more catch-and-shoots. To me, he looks comfortable doing it. He obviously wants to be right up on that three-point line. It took him like the first... <laughs> 15 games or so but he definitely looks like way more ready on the cor- on like the yes not in the corners but like on the angle yes. right he looks he just he's jumps ready to re- shoot. he leans right into it he's ready to shoot though so you know again I, we talk about like you know things that bother us like that 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 always kind of gets under my skin and really the tobias deal should have been the deal where it's like yeah again he's first off he's not truly a max guy he's, he's getting a little bit less but is he like a superstar? No. No. But he should have been the guy that you spent the money on because that's the last piece you needed. And unfortunately, they used the twenty-eight million on on Horford, where they should have, I think, set the roster a little differently. And then Tobias is again that piece that the last piece you need. And it's funny because for all the negatives we're harping on and talking about, because it's what people want to hear explained or maybe look for hope. I mentioned earlier how I think they they signed Horford to be this Swiss Army knife, and I don't think that was a fair expectation of him. You didn't think Tobias could be that guy, but he has been the one to do it when he wasn't the one you thought would be, or probably even like, even he probably doesn't even think that he is, but he is the glue at this point to all their roster issues and everything right now. Like for all the bad, the reason that they even have as good a record as they do is the fact that he has done everything asked of him and more. So like, what else can you ask for you from him? You can't, there's no, there's absolutely nothing. And one just last point on him and, and with Richardson, I know people are frustrated that they're not chuckers, that they shoot a lot of mid range stuff. I think when you get to the playoffs and teams take away what, what, you know, the three point line and, and protect the rim, we're going to be pretty happy. We have at least two guys in Richardson and Tobias that are pretty good. And, and Tobias is great, and I think yeah. Richardson's pretty good at getting you know into like the the mid range and taking those shots because that's what'll be there. That's what'll be there for us to shoot. So we gotta get you out of here. You're a very busy man, <laughs> and there's the thing at the end that we want to do. But before that, and you just kind of mentioned it, I do want to ask you because I know you might be the Josh Richardson guy as far as everybody I know. People are starting the turn. Where do you sit with what he's done for you so far? And the issues that he has had, whether you think that they're significant or not, do you think that they're like correctable? The one thing I will say is that something in the last like 10 days has looked really funky with him in his mid-range shot. There's some kind of hitch in his release that like none of them have been close and, and it looks weird to me. And it wasn't there before. He was knocking them down a yeah. lot early. I don't um, know if you noticed that. No, I didn't really notice that. I mean, his catch and shoot three, he's shooting 36% on. He's taken four, I think four a game. Um, so I think he's fine there. Um, want to con- you know continue to have him do that and shoot that. Defensively, he's been unbelievable. I think from an effort perspective, I don't know if you guys agree, but I think the effort I've I, ne- he, I, I think defensively I've never questioned that. Yeah. Him and Tobias are the two. That but I think I have even no doubts not even effort, effort, but like just effectiveness. I, I you know again hardens fresh in our mind. But I think you know the, some of the stuff he's done this year against Kemba and some of the other players. 
has been exceptional. Um, offensively, I think he's being asked to do too much. I don't think he should be the backup point guard. I don't think no. he should handle the ball as much as he does. I think he should be a catch-and-shoot three guy uh, or pump fake and go. He's not a, Again, he's not a great creator for others. That's who he is. Like I, I, I think it's weird. People expect every guy to be this sort of like multi-dimensional. Right. Those are superstars. The guys that can do those things are superstars. He's making $10 million, $11 million. So you're getting what you're paying for and more. You're getting surplus. Sure. I don't, yeah, Josh. I, I don't think it, I've, I haven't heard anybody complain about his value per what he No, makes but I, I hear what you're but. saying. I mean, again, yeah, yeah, I would love it. I wish he was a 40% three-point shooter. You know, again, keep catching and shooting. Maybe he'll get up to 37, 38. Um, I just think he's being asked to do too much. And I think the same thing with Tobias. And I think they're both kind of playing like up a position in terms of like their rank on the team. Like I think that sure. they're being asked to do too much. Yeah. I think if you were just said, Josh, listen, this is what we need you to do. Catch and shoot, pump and go. And just go to the basket. Don't worry about like setting up for others. We don't need that from you because we have this guy that will do it. And we have Ben that will do it. And Embiid being a passer out of the post should be able to do it. So do you think some of his struggles are also the same as Ben? That like they just need it's a lack of another creator. I, I think I think it's a personnel issue, and I think you know I don't want to blame it on this, but I think he's banged up still. I think he's not a hundred, a hundred percent. That hamstring thing is, you know, it might be one of those things where we hopefully we can get through to All Star break and um, he comes back looking like a hundred percent. Yeah, dude. Because before that injury, Josh he was playing he was amazing. Unreal. He was incredible. So and and I I know I said this on an earlier podcast, but hamstrings are just those kind of weird injuries that even you know maybe you wake yeah, up in the morning you, never you really feel fine, but then like you get in the game you're like oh shit like your step slower. True, that's a great point. So I think I think even in my mind, like, talking about it now, like I think I kind of forgot that he had been out with injury. Um, so it is definitely something to take into consideration. So Marty, I kind of just want to let you go on this one, and we can jump in, or I mean, you can even you can kind of quarterback this. But you had we had talked before this about like the upcoming schedule in regards to you know changes that they make or anything like that, and and there's uh, a significant stretch in uh, the beginning of February that we talked about. So like we're worried about this this zero and four streak that they're on. I actually I believe this was you that I took this from, and again you can find Marty on Twitter at mw teller, but. You know, we look at this team, and they're sitting at twenty-eight or twenty-three and fourteen, but they started five and zero, so they're eighteen and fourteen since starting five and zero. And I put in here they lost their last four, and they're four and seven in the last eleven. So, looking forward to you know not only just the changes they can make, but how the schedule impacts that because we know people talked about you know this Disney on ice stretch for for both the Sixers and the Flyers. It comes up every year. It, it is a problem. Luckily today, the Eagles kicked them out of the city because we got some playoff football to get to. But keeping with the Sixers, um, you know, what what are your thoughts on on the upcoming stretch? And I guess like, what do we see? You know, when do we see this team turning it around? And, and you know, what can we expect from their schedule? We know they've played more games than pretty much everybody. So hopefully, we're looking at some time in between for them to get some rest, for them to get some practices, and again. We talked about if they're going to make moves, like they're going to need time to implement these guys. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, January is a, a, a weird month, like in terms of the schedule. Um, this this upcoming stretch is is not easy by any means. So you have uh, Oklahoma City, which you know is performing much better than I think people expected. Then we go up. Uh, then we have Boston here, and then we have Dallas on the road and Indy on the road again. Um, I mean, that's you know maybe we can go four and zero and kind of make up for that zero and four start, but but that's those are no gimmies. And then what freaks you out about the Sixers is there there are some like light games in here. You've got the Knicks, you've got a couple Nets games, you've got Golden State, you've got the Hawks. We've lost to those teams or struggled with teams like that this year. So there's really you know it's so hard to look at the schedule and go okay well, there's ten wins here, there's twelve wins here, um, and not to mention at the end of the month they have the Raptors and the Lakers, and then the start February literally going right into the deadline Saturday February first at Boston, Monday February third at Miami. Thursday, February 6th, the night of the deadline, I believe. And that's the Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, so I think we'll really know a lot uh, when this All-Star break comes. I think we'll know either, like, okay, this team is who they are. Um, They've got the ceiling. They can flip the switch. Whether, you know, we're okay with that or not is up to each individual person. Or we'll go, this team's Fugazi, and we were all wrong, and they're going to be a six seed, and this thing is going to blow up this summer. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but I'd say like there's a thirty percent chance. Ooh, 
Steve? No, there's there's definitely uh, cause for concern. And it's interesting how we said earlier, you know, the, the league got better. And with that said, that that's what frustrates me with this whole narrative of just flipping the switch. Because one, I don't think, you know, we've really deserved that. You know, a team like uh, Golden State who has won titles, you know, they, they had the playoff experience and we, we don't. So one, I don't think, you know, we deserve and two, with the league just getting better, there, there's rarely, like, not many give-me games anymore. And For we sure. just need to we've, stop we've playing. We've learned that the hard way. Yeah, and we just need to stop playing down to, you know, level of our competition. And, you know, teams like Indiana, Orlando, like, they have a lot of nice, you know, uh, pieces. But they're, they're definitely winnable games. And I think that's – we're going to have to win those winnable games. And, you know, we're going to have to steal some games, you know, whether it's another game against Milwaukee or Boston or – yeah, to just to get back to like the league balance, like last night the Clippers got thrashed by the Grizzlies. Like, did you see the quotes post game by Doc? No. Uh, well, yeah, I saw some of them. I don't know. I don't remember them specifically. Looked like they were like coming out. You know, like he basically said, like we're lost. Like we don't know what's going <laughs> on. Like and that's my point. Like, they were like they were the team projected from the West. Like I think a lot of people had them number one. I think people had their doubts about the Lakers. The Lakers look a lot better than I expected. And the Lakers them even too. had, I think, a three or four game losing streak recently, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I don't even. Th- I think they're selling single digit losses. So maybe, but the point is, is that all these teams are going are going to have these things. I mean, uh, Milwaukee lost to a Lucas Dallas just mm-hmm. like we did. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think the Lakers lost to them too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Denver the, Denver went from like the number. The two Heat got thrashed yeah. by Orlando the uh, the other day. Right. Denver uh, Denver went from like number two in defense on like I think Christmas, and then they're they're down to twelfth now. And like they were look they were number two in the West, and um, you know now I think they've dropped back a little bit. So every team's gonna have every even the good teams are gonna have their struggles. Um, and I think, you had said it perfectly. We're too in. We're too close. Just to it. here. We're too close to it. We watch every minute, every quarter. Um, and when you, you know, if you're a league pass person, if you get around and see the rest of the league, you know, there are teams, Milwaukee's really mostly been the exception this year, but, you know, and I guess the Lakers too, to a degree, every other team has had, you know, those, those normal struggles that you do when you play 82 games. And Milwaukee, like to pretty much everybody's credit, like not even going to take credit myself or whatever, but we did say it on this podcast because he's, and I think everybody that was on and I know specifically talking to uh, me and Eric Marcherano when we were doing the the betting episode was like Milwaukee was expected to be the one seed like they are built for the regular season so many people were saying it and they're just proving it like this isn't a surprise to anybody if anybody right. is sitting here going why aren't we up there with Milwaukee even in my wildest dreams I, I didn't have us competing with them record-wise in the regular season, but I absolutely had us competing with them matchup-wise, which one game, but Christmas, you smoked them. Right. So all things still kind of on track in that way. And what I was talking to people yesterday about was this, and this is really the last question I have for each of you before Bird's prediction, which we have to do, is even with everything we just talked about, we're, we're hitting the hour mark, a lot of concerns. We've tried to address them in in some circumstances, and we've also, you know, admitted some of them. Which, at least for me, like I'm usually not super willing to do. I I want to try to keep it positive. I'm usually opposed to most things in my life. I remain fairly optimistic with this team, especially this year, um, because I believe in Joel and Ben and Brett and and even Elton at this point. But even with everything we talked about, sitting here as we are roster constructed as it is, or or anything you think is fairly viable to change. You know, six seed, five seed, four seed, three seed. This team in a seven-game series with any other team in the league, I still feel good about it. I don't know if that's crazy, but I still feel good about it. Knowing the same team, no back-to-backs, no, no outlier things, just a seven-game series with any other team in the league, I still feel fine. As is, roster as is. Or, or any, like, you're not going out and getting a, a, a superstar. Like, you know, if you think that, if you want to say Alec Burks comes, okay. sure. Like, that's a that's a fair move. To, okay. that's, it's realistic. not outlandish to think that that yeah, happens. Yeah, it's realistic. Right. But, like, you're not, you're not moving Horford for Bradley Beal yeah, right. or anything, you know? Right. Like, I, I'm not saying I would pick them in every series, but I, I still feel fine about it right now. Maybe that changes in two weeks, but I still think you, you lock us in with one team and they have to beat us four out of seven. Ah, there's not many teams that I feel can do it. 
No, I, I, I definitely agree with you. If there's one prediction I made uh, before the season is that, you know, just because this is a, a really weird and unorthodox starting lineup that um, it's it's going to take a lot of time for things to just mesh and gel together. And we've we've been saying that this team is not built for the regular season like Milwaukee. Right. And this team, come playoff time, I just think by then, ho- I, hopefully, but I, I truly think that, you know, they'll, they'll definitely figure it out. Maybe they can start to run teams, you know, off the court. And uh, I, I feel, you know, like you said, against most teams, I, I definitely would feel good about our chances in a seven-game series. I mean, the numbers, you know, if you're looking at like 538, if you're looking at any like the betting lines, I mean, they still like us. Um, yeah, I think the is, last I saw like Milwaukee's like maybe like plus 130 to make it, and we're like plus 260. And but after then that, everybody's, right. everybody's like plus 500 or yeah, more. Yeah, Boston just got bumped up, but it's still not close. So, you know, Vegas still sees, you know, what they see. Um, I think I'm a little bit more nervous. I think I'm I I'm in the minority, but but Miami and Boston concern me. I think if we have to play either of those without home court, um, looking at our level of <clears throat> consistency with our effort, you say like you're not worried over a seven game series. I actually like I have the reverse feeling. Like, can we maintain a level of intensity for five, six, seven games that you would need to win it, and not get to that seventh game where you'd be playing on that sure. on that road. Uh, on that road court, which is how things are shaping up right now. So um, I feel, I mean, I, I think they're going to make the playoffs. I feel very confident they're going to make sure, the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I do think they will be a top four seed. Um, and if they do that, then I feel pretty good. Um, and even if we end up playing Milwaukee in the second round, like which could happen, I actually think there's like a silver lining there. I think maybe getting them earlier when Embiid's a little fresher, you know, uh, and Giannis we're, doesn't see we're, it. We're coming off, yeah. hopefully, like, you know, who, who knows – you know who knows what our the four or five matchup would be, but but hopefully we could get out of that pretty unscathed and and like not have um you know go through a bloodbath. You second see that I wouldn't feel good about if it's. Well, four it depends five. who it depends who it is. I mean, I don't know. We got thrashed by the Pacers, but if it's the Pacers, like, do you don't think we can get out of that in five games? Yeah, I'm just uh, when we're talking about the top teams in the East, if we're talking four or five, then I would expect that to be either Boston, Miami, or Toronto, and like you said, possibly. You know, It'd be interesting with Miami and Toronto scare me. I'm not as worried about Boston so far, just because it seems like we just match up well yeah. with them. We'll see. But Toronto we scares them on the hell Thursday. Out of me. We play them on Thursday yep. again, so um, we'll be there. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't have a really great answer right now because I, to your point earlier, I think the East is so much better than even I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, same. I was dead um, wrong. That and I and you know I don't. <laughs> Stevens is he a good coach? Is he a great coach? We know Spolstra is, and we know Nick Nurse is a pretty good coach. Yep. And, Again, not to go off on Brown. We're not going to get into that tangent today, but and even uh, who uh, is it? Is it Nate, 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 McMillan. Nate McMullen, right? Yeah, Nate McMillan, I think he's so, a tremendously underrated coach. Tremendously. So you know, I, I just think it's going to be harder than people think in the playoffs, and that's why I said like maybe matching up with Milwaukee in the second round. What does it matter if you're going to have to play them in the second or, or third round? What does it matter, right? Yeah. Like, if are we going to feel better about ourselves? Oh, we made it to the conference championship, but we lost to the Bucks. Then what's the difference if we yeah. play them in the second round? I I, th- I think they're like this may be just like storyline BS rather than a real thing. But like, I your silver lining comment is perfect because I really think like if Giannis gets to the conference finals again and he sees like he's close. Like you might get a version of him that you can't stop, maybe. But maybe if it's the second round, not the third, maybe he's just not fully engaged yet. Like not even like a knock. You know what I mean? Just yeah. Like, and then maybe if you beat him in the second round, maybe all of a sudden his mindset changes. Is I'm not that close to the final. And he leaves. I need to get out of here. And he goes somewhere else. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Right. All right. So want want to get you guys out of here. Birds today at home against Seattle. I will get this up before that. So. The few people that that jam this in immediately will get to hear the prediction before the game. Marty, you gotta go first. I'll go twenty three twenty birds. Game winning field goal at the end. Okay, Jake Elliott, big time. I'm going twenty one twenty birds. You guys got it close. I I'm I'm on my bullshit today. Twenty seven seventeen. Ooh, okay. Birds, and it's like it's twenty seven to seven at one point, and we're just like nervous. But it never gets that close. But we're just in fear for the last 18 minutes or so because you know Russ can do it. But I don't even think it, it gets to the point where we're actually we're not sweating too much. 27-17 like birds. It. Book it. 
I got Carson Wentz to uh, throw two touchdowns and win for like plus 400 on DraftKings. So I'm riding, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Go, All Birds. right, Good Marty, luck. Steve, thank you guys. Uh, I think this was awesome. We actually pretty much right at an hour, so that's crazy because I feel like we talked about so much. Um, this was really like usually I really hammer home like bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, and I feel like we just kind of like roundtabled this whole thing. I think it was cool. So appreciate you guys. Uh, you can find Marty on Twitter at MWTeller. You can find Steve at SWJones87, right? Yes, that's right. And then obviously us at Process Potables, all that good stuff. want to thank our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, you can call them, 856-904-5636, and mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. And find everything Process Potables at www.processpotables.com. Go Birds and trust the podcast.